The year was 1992. I happened to be in the right place at the right time. You ever been in the right place in the right time for something special and you didn't even know it? Raise your hand. Let me know. Ever in the right time, the right place, something special was happening. You didn't know it until after the fact. That was what was happening to me. 1992. There was a guy by the name of Dr. Ken Dye, and he was the band director for Rice University's March out band, the mob. It's an ironic term, marching out band, because they don't actually march, they scatter if you ever get a chance to watch. I know they don't show the bands anymore on TV, but if you ever get a chance to watch them, they'll have their formations, they'll play their music, and they'll scatter to the next formation. They don't actually march. But this guy put together a group, a special group that might scare you if you think about it. He wanted to have a full marching band with 99% saxophone, 1% percussion. And so I was a freshman, I believe, or something, I don't remember, 1992, but I applied, my friends applied, we made the band, we tried out, we got onto this marching band, we had lots of practices, there was over a hundred saxophones in this band, if you can imagine, a bunch of whiny saxophones playing all these music. But there were two events that we were going to play, right, the first one was Mardi Gras in Galveston, and that was going to be super fun. We were going to get to play a matinee concert with all the songs that we've been learning, and we get to march in the parade of Mardi Gras. Now, if you know anything about a saxophone, we, we played for about half of the parade, me and my friends, but there were so many of us, we decided, you know what? Our horn made a great receptacle for beads. So we, we, we played it up. We're like, hey, throw the beads, hit the, the bell of the horn. Man, there was no doubt that people were trying to hit our horn, and it was no big deal. We had a lot of lot and lot of beads after that. <clears throat> but that wasn't the event. Although that was special and fun and neat, that wasn't the event. The second event we got to do, I was in the right place and the right time for something pretty historic to me. We were to play a fundraiser for the Democratic National Convention. Right. So, I mean, as a freshman, I was not involved in politics at all. I didn't care. I was going to play with a bunch of saxophones, and that was, that, was, that was pretty fun for me. So we got there, and they said the headliner wasn't going to be there for the fundraiser, but enjoy the dinner. Everyone was dressed to the max. Tuxes, long-flowing evening gowns. I have no idea how much those plates cost those people to fundraise at that moment. But we had a, we had a time where we played a couple songs. And everybody was listening to us as they were eating their meal, a bunch of saxophones. And you can kind of maybe tell what's about to happen, because if you know anything about the saxophone in 1992 and who was up for president at that moment, they said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a big treat for you. The guy who we thought was not going to be here is now here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Governor William Jefferson Clinton. And the spotlight came on the band. And coming with his saxophone, I happen to be at the right place at the right time. The dude sits right next to me on stage. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty neat. He, and, and you know, he was good with people. You know, he sat next to me. He said, I'm Governor Bill Clinton. Let's get this done. And, he, and we played the next few songs. He gets up and walks and gives his little speech. And afterwards, boy, they had some amazing food that we all got to enjoy for free. We didn't have to fundraise on that one. 
But I was in the right place at the right time for something historic. I had no idea that the guy sitting next to me who just talked to me, who just played the saxophone with me, was about to become the President of the United States. Now, what do you think about Bill Clinton has nothing to do with this, right? The fact that this was a neat experience for me. And the story will always have. That was the right place, right time for something historic. And I didn't even know it until afterwards. This is where we get to Palm Sunday. It's exactly what happened to those people that were there. There's not a lot of people were in the right place at the right time. And they didn't even know what was going on. Let's read the text. It's in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. We'll see it there. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethsaida on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Crowds answers, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Someone who didn't even know who he was, they had to ask the question, Who? Who is this? Guys, won't you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the event in Palm Sunday we call the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, right now I pray that your word goes forth with power. It does not return void of you, you have promised. God, we thank you so much. May our hearts be stirred like the crowd was stirred before, like the city was stirred. May our hearts be stirred with your word, Lord, that we apply the things that we hear today and not just, just sit and listen, but actually do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, the thing about Palm Sunday is Matthew, Matthew in good Matthew fashion, he liked to put a lot of prophecies. He was speaking particularly to the Jews. And often, as you read through his gospel, he told this prophecy. Jesus did this, and this was done fulfilled this prophecy. And all throughout, prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. So no doubt we get to this, and he says the same thing, that when Jesus goes and gets the colt of a donkey, sits on it, he mentions this verse. And it's in Zechariah 9.9. Now, this is already mentioned here, but this also fulfills another prophecy that Matthew didn't talk about. But scholars have talked about this prophecy. It's so stinking neat, all right, how this works out perfectly to the time frame that we're talking about. And it's in Daniel chapter 9. Now, Daniel, hundreds of years, like Zechariah before this even happened, 
hundreds of years, we get to Daniel 9. And, and listen, listen to what Daniel says. I'll have to break it down for you. It says, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Boy, that's a lot of weird weeks and sevens, right? What in the world does that mean? Right? This is a prophecy exactly detailing what we're celebrating today in Palm Sunday. The triumphant entrance of Jesus. Let me break it down for you. We know exactly when this occurred in Daniel 9:24, when he said, when the decree goes out to rebuild Jerusalem. This is a historical fact. Okay? On the first of Nisan, 445 B.C., our taxes gave the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So you remember what's happened is Israel, in Israel fashion, disobeyed God. And so God sent them prophets. And these prophets would tell them, hey guys, turn back to me because something's going to happen that's a consequence that you won't like. Turn back to me. And so they don't, right? And so God goes and sacks them, takes them away to Babylon. The temple is destroyed. And so now they're in exile for many years. And so then they get a, a compassionate, secular king, essentially, Taxes, And he says, guys, go, go back and do this. Go back and build. And so they do. And we know this date on this decree, 1 Nisan 445 B.C. And we can read in Ezra, they go back and they, and they do these things. So from good, the going forth of this command until the Messiah, which Daniel sh- uh, shares... There will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. In other words, people who are way more knowledgeable about these things in Old Testament uh, works in Hebrew calculate this to be 483 years. So that's how it works out. So Sir Robert Anson, in his book, The Coming Prince, took the number of days and came up with the date of the 10th of Nisan, 30 A.D., as the end of the 69th week. And according to him, this is the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem and announced himself as king. To the very day. Hundreds of years beforehand, this was mentioned. Hundreds of years beforehand, Jesus would be riding on the colt of a donkey. And it's to the exact day. And also, we see in Daniel that he says, what, at the end of that passage... He says, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And we know we're celebrating Palm Sunday this Sunday, but just in seven days, um, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who just two, three days before that on Friday, we celebrate Good Friday, he was actually, this happens to him. He was cut off. He was put to death and has nothing. And the scripture goes on to say, and it wasn't for himself. It was for us. To the day. This is fascinating, folks. Fascinating how this happens. Now, when it comes to prophecies, there are over 400 prophecies. 
that Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament. Over 400 prophecies. Again, I didn't count these personally, but someone who's well-versed in counting all these prophecies, over 400 of them that Jesus fulfilled. Think about that. What is a prophecy? We think about all the things that have come, all the prophets in the Old Testament. This is going to happen. 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 And Jesus fulfilled over 400 of them. If you're still not convinced, i got an exercise for you. Nathan, I'm going to put you on the sock. Come on up here. Nathan Aniston, awesome. Y'all give him a hand. Told you. My mic is off. Better? Too close? Again, it's not bending. Is that better? All right. All right. So, what if I were to tell you, let's say we're alive 121 years ago, right? 1900. If I were, we were here in front of a church, 1900, and I would tell you, guys, I've got a prophetic message from the Lord. There will be a man named Nathan Anderson who will stand up on a Dogwood Church in the year 2021, and he will play guitar and play four songs for his congregation. How many prophecies did I just give? Nine. That there was a man named Nathan. There would be a church. That we still would have 2021, the Lord hadn't come back, right? And the songs, nine prophecies. If I were to tell a church that in 1900, what would you do to me? You would think I was crazy. Crazy, crazy, right? That's just nine. Y'all give Nathan a hand. Thank you. That's all I need for. <laughs> that was just nine prophecies. Over 400 came true of Jesus. He was going to make sure that there was no doubt or that who he said he was is exactly who he said he was and what he was going to do. Over 400. So these are just three prophecies of him that were fulfilled. About his death, that he'd be cut off from us. We cut off, not for himself, for us, should I say. And I'd be riding on a donkey, the cult of a donkey. So that's one of the main things, the prophecies fulfilled. The second thing I want to talk about, it, the significance of this, is that this is when Jesus finally goes public. He finally goes public here. Now before, what happens with Jesus? If you read through the Gospels, you'll see he, he will perform some things, and what does he tell the people? Don't go say anything. My time has not yet come. Right? Because God knew that Daniel had said this thing. It has specifically had to be in the 69th week. Right? Or 483 years after the announcement had come through. His time had not yet come yet. And, and he knew that if they were to go and tell, that the Pharisees would be outraged even more then, and things would be way hastily moved forward. This is not what happened at all. So he waited. He waited. People say, why don't you go forward? It's not my time yet. In fact, in Galatians, we don't have the scripture. Galatians, it says, when the fullness of time came, God sent his son to die on a cross. 
So scripture, God was very particular to say, look, guys, this is going to meet to a T. And we will have no excuse when the king comes. And so Jesus goes public. So we see these people in this scripture in Matthew. We see them cutting branches, laying them on the feet, taking off their cloak. And these weren't rich guys. That might have been their only cloak they had. That they were throwing down at his feet. And he walked with a colt of a, on a, a colt of a donkey. Right? So I think that a lot of the pictures that we see. And he's not on the mother. He's on the baby who's never been ridden before. That's amazing. He fulfilled that prophecy. He's going public. And the pictures we see, even the movies I've seen of Jesus, they show a little, a little pack of people. I'm not so sure that's the case. Because here's what's going to happen beforehand. This is, this is where he's setting up to go public. And I'd have to take us back to John chapter 11 for this. In John chapter 11... We see what's really making his thrust and why these people are so excited that he's finally going public. In John chapter 11, Jesus is approached by Mary and Martha that, that Lazarus is now sick and dying. And if you've been to church for a while, you, you know this story, but so let me re- go back for it here. This man, Lazarus, he was sick from Bethany, and then Jesus, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He'd already been in the tomb for four days. And essentially what he does to set this up, he says, okay, um, may, he will live again. And she says, well, I know, I know the resurrection will come. He said, no, 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 no. He will be raised again so that I may be glorified. Because I am the resurrection and the life. And he mentions these things to her. And so we get to our passage, and he says, Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And I love this, right? I, I love this. To take away the stone, no, he's been there four days. This guy's going to stink, right? This guy is going to smell bad. What are you talking about? And then he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of, the Lord, of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. Praise God. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is key. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So we get to see the beginning of this huge tension that's happening. That Jesus has now performed one of his most famous miracles, raising from the dead. And many who were there to come see saw this. They saw with their own eyes that Lazarus, who had been dead in the tomb for four days, stinking up a storm, is now alive. 
And they are astonished. And many believed in Jesus, as it said. But many, they went to the Pharisees and said, Hey, this is what's going on. And the Pharisees, oh gosh, I want you to understand how threatening this was for them. People looked up to them as the lawgivers, as the teachers. They had the political power. They were in charge. And for somebody to come who they believe was blaspheming God and taking away that power, that is threatening. That's a danger. They say, essentially, what are we accomplishing? This, this, the Romans will come and take away both our temple. They're frightened what may happen. They are now deciding in their mind that this guy must be crushed and squashed. He must be taken away. In fact, in other, pa- uh, other parts of the passage, they say even Lazarus must die as well. So what happens now? This is a, a, a week or two before this Sunday that we're celebrating Palm Sunday where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And so we get to this point where I don't know how many people saw Lazarus rise from the dead. It doesn't tell us. But if you saw someone rise from the dead, wouldn't you tell someone? Could you, could you even contain it? Right? And so I, this is what's happening here is they are going to as many people as they can saying, Guys, this is what this Jesus, this is what this Messiah has done. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. Could this be the one we've been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3 when Adam made this stupid mistake of sinning, of eating of the apple of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and causing us on this spiral of sin that God then said, Look, yes, there will be consequences, but take heart. One day someone will come that will crush the head of the serpent. Is this the guy we've been waiting for? For all these thousands of years, could this be the one? Now he's raising Lazarus from the dead. He's speaking as one of authority. Let's go see. And so they cross Jerusalem. Do you know what that reason is? Passover. Now how many Jews do you think was in Jerusalem at this time? I, I wanted to see how many there were. And I wanted to see kind of how, how big Jerusalem was. For all these people. Now, I think about Tyler, Texas. Tyler, Texas is a fun little town to drive in, isn't it? Tyler, Texas has an area of a little over 50 square miles. That's it. They have a population currently with a new census of a little over 105,000 people. But every time, it seems like no matter what time of the day I go and drive in Tyler, I am backed up for a long time with traffic. Like, where are all these people coming from? This is so crowded in Tyler, is it not? 50 square miles, 105,000 people. Now, Jerusalem is just a little under 50 square miles. It's smaller than Tyler. Right now, Jerusalem has a population of about 950,000. Almost 10 times that of Tyler. You think Jerusalem's crowded now? Pretty crowded, right? You think about how, how, especially if you're going Broadway, how long would it take you to just get from, let's say, the mall down out to the loop? It would take a long time plus all the lights and the traffic is ridiculous. And so we get to Jerusalem, who has ten times that. My goodness, that's a lot of people. But wait, there's more. Josephus was a Jewish historian. And he calculated, essentially, how many people would have been at Passover in Jerusalem during these times. So the high priests, what they would do, they took account of how many lambs were sacrificed upon the arrival of their feast, the Passover. On this day, they slayed their sacrifices from the ninth hour 
until the 11th, and that ninth hour is so key, with a company of not less than 10 belonging to every sacrifice. For it is not lawful for them to have the feast singly by themselves. And many of us are in twinning company. These priests found the number of the sacrifices was 256,500. 256,500, and that's one for every 10. There were a lot of people for Passover. A ton of people for Passover. They estimate that there was over 2 million there that week. Over 2 million. So, you have a guy who about one or two weeks ago raised a man for the dead. They're getting the word out. Hey, come see this man who just raised the man from the dead. We might have the Messiah here. We may have the one we've been waiting for for all these years. Come see. And they're going to Jerusalem, which has over 200 million, excuse me, 2 million people now. The word will spread fast. So all these pictures and videos of this small little crowd, I don't think it was that. Because I don't see how, that, how much threatening that could have been for the Pharisees. That they see... Thousands, possibly, even 10,000. This is me, scripture doesn't say it, but possibly there's a, a huge crowd that's seeing Jesus come in on a donkey and throwing their cloaks and cutting their branches and seeing that. Wow. So here they are doing this. They say to him, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means save. Save now. Save us. That's kind of what it means. And they're saying to the son of David. What they are saying to him essentially, we believe you're in the, the rightful lineage to King David to take the throne. They believe he now is the Messiah. Or at least they're saying it. Right? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. They are saying now, you are Messiah. And we want to crown you as king. Because here's what they want. They want a warrior king now. They want someone who they've just seen him raise the either seen or heard, and now they're here saying, you must be the Messiah, and here's what we've been waiting for, for thousands and thousands of years, that you would come, overthrow these Roman monsters, and end our oppression, set up your kingdom that will, according to our prophecies, last forever. Now is the time. We're so excited. Well, all this oppression we have is now, will now be gone. And here's some interesting things about this, that Jesus... Fulfilling the scripture does what? He doesn't come on a war horse high and lifted up like most kings would come in their coronation. Because make no doubt, this is a coronation, essentially. They're saying, we're moving you to be king. He comes low and on a donkey. Is it not working when I'm getting in front of the speakers? Is that what's going on? Okay, well, let me go back up. Low and on a donkey, uh, the, a baby donkey. And who knows, who knows, it could have been as small that his feet may have been dragging the ground, right? He's showing that, now, 
I'm not coming as a warrior king. In fact, what they way what they would see as coming in donkey, that he's coming in peace. A lot of the times when the kings would come to make peace with the thing, they would come on a donkey and not a war horse. And so he comes low on a donkey. But all these things are being shouted. You are the Messiah. Save us now. Set up your kingdom. It's interesting to know that Jesus, we didn't read it, but Jesus doesn't exactly do what a king would do here. Right? When a king comes for his coronation, they go to the streets, and where does the king usually go? First to be crowned, but usually where? At the palace. Right? We're going to see, if you keep reading, Jesus doesn't go to the palace. He goes straight to the temple. And he starts tearing it up. He's saying, my house, what we call the house of prayer, and starts making whips and turning tables over. He's a different kind of king. Oh, but this is such a threat. Not, not even getting to the point of the overturning the money changers. He is such a threat. Look at Luke 19 with me. His, his account of this. So they say, Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed the king comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But in verse 39, it says, Some of the Pharisees and crowds said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, they're saying, Do you hear what they're saying? They're saying you're the Messiah. They're saying you're the one to come. They're saying you're the one that's supposed to save us. Tell them to stop. Scold them. Rebuke them. Tell them to stop now because blasphemy. It is wrong. This could be death for them and for you. Rebuke them. And Jesus, now remember, this is his going public now. He is out. He is not going to have any kind of, uh, any kind of answer to them. That's not going to suggest that he's not a king anymore. And so he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Amen. Like, if they don't do this now, then, guys, I am, God has made through me everything. And I can command the rocks to even cry out. It will happen whether you like it or not. I will be praised. And, again, such a threat to them. They are mad. They are on fire. And Jesus as he approached Jerusalem, saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when the enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone or another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And I don't understand why people say Jesus never claimed to be God. He says it over and over and over again. He is fully man and fully God who has come now to them. He's public. This is it. And so even the rocks will cry out if they remain silent. And that makes them so mad. But that's not it. Now we get to the John, the way he put it. Let's go to John chapter 17. This is, this is at the end of his account. After they shouted all these things. Now the crowd was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continuing to spread the word. So that crowd that saw him raise Lazarus from the dead are now with him, continuing to spread the word. They don't stop. 
Right? He's come in and they don't stop. They're saying, hey guys, have you heard? Hey guys, have you heard? I imagine them telling everybody, the, the thousands of people that are there, I don't adventure, they probably go knocking door to door. Hey guys, see this man, have you heard? And, and, and many, verse 18, many people, because they heard they had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Let's check this guy out. If you heard about that, wouldn't you at least want to go see? Wouldn't you be curious? Absolutely. So the Pharisees said to one or another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This man must be crushed. He must be destroyed. And they plot to kill him within that week. They try to trap him so people will stop following him. We're not going to get into it, but he asks them, he'll ask them several questions. Well, the law says this, and they figure if they ask him a question about the law, that if he answers one way, these people will not like it. If he answers this way, these other people will not like it, and they've trapped him to not be the king that he says he is. But Jesus always finds that third way. And, and every answer that he gave them had a few questions. And I love how the scripture says, and after that, they asked him no more questions. They just plotted to kill him. They said, we just have to get rid of him. This guy has to die. They spread the good news. So here's, here's two things that I see that we can take from this. We need to follow the true Jesus. And I say this to my kids, I just said it last week to Liam. God's love is too strong to go along. I didn't say God's love is too long to go along. I said my love for you is too strong to go along. But... God's love is too strong to go along. What do I mean by that? Follow the true Jesus. Let me give you the Liam uh, example. Because last week, okay, last week he had a birthday. And as all little boys do, he gets some toys. And when little boys get toys, they're super excited about those toys. And when we get home on Monday, he wants to take the toys to school and show all of his friends how excited he is about those toys that he's got. But you can't take toys to school. And so I kind of I caught him and like, no, you can't take those to- toys to school. No, why? I want to show my friends. You can't do it. So he left it at home. So Wednesday comes around, and we're, after I pick him up, I guess he's, he's digging through his backpack to get his homework out, and Grayson, being a little tattletale that he is, says, Liam has toys in his backpack. And I'm driving to pick up Emery, so I, you know, I'm not going to be doing all that and trying to look. I said, Liam, did you bring your toys to school? And he said, no. And I said, Liam, you know how I feel about lying. I'll ask you one more time. Did you take your toys to school? And his voice gets lower, pitched down, head down. Yes, Daddy. I was like, okay. So now you're going to be punished. Not for taking the toys to school, but for lying love for you is too strong to go along. It's just too strong to go along to let you get away with lying. If you would have told me from the first one that I took the toys to school, I was like, okay, you took them to school, that's it, you showed everybody, you have to leave them home from now on, we would have been fine, nothing would have happened. Because you lied to me, there's a bigger consequence. Guys, if you've been saved by Jesus, then stop making excuses for your bad choices or your sin life like he was doing. Turn away from those sins. Follow the true Jesus because his love for you is too strong to go along. He simply just won't put up with it. God's love is too strong to go along. I was talking with uh, my brother-in-law 
And I don't even remember how the conversation came up. But we, talk, we started talking about Rocky movies last week. Remember the Rocky movies? I think there's like seven or eight of them. I'm not really sure. But some of them again. And so I said, well, let me, Rocky Five. Rocky Five was not my favorite, but let me give it another chance. Right? So I watched kind of the, I didn't watch the whole honestly. Um, but let me tell you about Rocky Five because this fits so great. Rocky is old, older. And they told him he can't box anymore. Because if you remember Rocky IV, it's probably the most famous Rocky. He fights Ivan Drago, which is a big Russian that killed his buddy Abala Creed in the ring. And so he's got hit so hard so many times that now there's something wrong with his eye. And they figure that if he gets hit any more, two or more times that he could actually die. And so there's this guy coming around, this heavyweight named Tommy Gunn. And so Tommy Gunn asked Rocky Balboa, who he admires, said, will you train me? And so Rocky says, well, yeah, I'll train you. That sounds like a good idea. So he trains him. Now, Tommy starts winning. Starts winning big. Just knocking everybody out. And then he gets, he gets a big head about it. He starts to get a little conceited that, well, this may have been me all along. It wasn't my teacher. And so eventually, at the end of the movie, they get to this, this idea where Tommy's kind of threatened him and his family. And Rocky's like, well... Let's, let, let's, let's, let's take care of this. And they start fighting. Now, in the beginning of it, Rocky realized that Tommy is younger. Tommy is faster. And he might, might even be able to hit harder. Who knows? And he takes Rocky down. And Rocky, Rocky's in the gutter. And I love this, how all Rocky movies have these like flashbacks or montages that they have. So while he's in the gutter, and people are kind of screaming in this muffled way they do the audio at him, get up or no, Rocky, or whatever. He's seen his previous past life and how he was knocked down and knocked down and knocked down and knocked down over and over and over again. And if you've seen the Rocky movies, this guy, nobody would be able to take the punches that this guy had in the movie. They make it for, for show, but knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, punch, 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 touch so many things. And it shows his old nemesis, Ivan, and he goes down. But then at the end of all that, him being knocked down, knocked down, his old teacher, Mickey, in his gruff kind of way, he says, Get up, Rocky! I ain't heard no bell. Get up! Stop being a bum. Get up and fight. I haven't heard no bell. And so Rocky, you know, um, this one where the music starts, right? Da, 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 He gets up, finds this new thing. Like, I've been knocked down before by all these things. But he tells Tommy, Hey, I ain't heard no bell. One more round. One more round. They go at it, and of course, Rocky takes him out, right? And I, and I think about going back to our God's love is too strong to go along. If we've been saved by Jesus, and you've been beating down from life, look, every day is going to be a battle. Every day is going to be a war internally. And every day we need to turn to Jesus and understand his love is too strong to go along with our defeat. He never wants to leave us down in the gutter, in the blood, in the mud, ever. And he's saying, get up, you bums. One more round. I didn't hear the trumpet sound yet. And with his strength, we will prevail. Follow the true Jesus. Don't mold him just to fit your desires. Because this is what I kind of see them doing. We want a warrior king to come and take away all of our oppression. And they, they realize during the week, oh, this 
So they go from Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest heavens. Blessed is he to come in the name of the Lord. To just a week later, or less than a week later, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Not who we want him to be. Guys, if you've been beating down, trust in Jesus. His love is too strong to go along. He doesn't want to leave us down in the gutter. Second thing I see with this is never let rocks take your place. How, how shameful would that be? Don't let rocks take your place. Be grateful. He wants us to spread the good news. What do they do? He raised a man's life. Let's go share it with the masses. What did God do? A week from now we'll celebrate Easter. He raised his son Jesus from the grave. We should be sharing it with the masses. Because <laughs> if we don't, the rocks will do it. If, if, if we don't say Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the highest heavens, if we don't start doing it, the rocks will do it. Don't let rocks take your place. with Lazarus and couldn't help but tell people. Well, if you've been saved by Jesus, be filled with the joy of your salvation and tell others. Stop making the choice to be comfortable. Because that's what it comes down for me a lot. I can say something now, but oh, this will be awkward. This will be weird if I say something about Jesus here. And, and I need to stop making excuses for my comfort and I don't need to let the rocks do it. God has called us to share the good news. Now, Jesus came on a baby donkey, <laughs> cult of a donkey, in peace, essentially. He comes as a sacrificial lamb. And there's so many more things that we could, we could talk about. The fact that, did you know that the day that Jesus rode in Jerusalem is the same time frame that the Israelites had before their Passover in the plagues of Egypt to choose their lamb. That they had to slaughter to place the blood of the lamb over the doorposts so that when the angel of death passed, that they would pass over them so they wouldn't die in the plagues of Egypt. So when Jesus comes in, it's essentially saying they have chosen their lamb of God. Also, when Jesus goes to the cross... When Josephus told us that all the Jews at the Passover, at the ninth hour, would sacrifice their lambs. Do you know when Jesus died? At the ninth hour. This isn't by mistake. This is all calculated. All calculated. So Jesus fulfills these prophecies. He goes public. And he comes in on a donkey. The good news is, the next time Jesus comes, and he is coming again, he has promised. The next time Jesus comes, he's not going to be on a donkey. He's going to be on that war horse. Look at Revelation 19. It says this, I saw heaven standing open. 
And there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. His treads the, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Folks, he is coming again. And I don't want us to be at a point where we say, Who is this? Trust in Jesus now, before Jesus goes and raises Lazarus, and what's kind of going on, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And the question is this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Is what he says. Folks, today is the day of salvation. Time after time after time, many people told of Jesus coming. He performed many miracles, raised the dead, caused the lame to walk, the sick to be healed, the blind to see again. And he offers this invitation to us to trust in him. To place your faith and your trust upon him. So that you too will be saved. So that you too can cry out, save us. Glory to heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because one day he is coming again like we just read. And he's coming to judge the wicked. And I don't want you there. Robert, I don't want you there. Jeff, I don't want you there. Matt, I don't want you there. Cody, no sir. I'm not going to stand for it, and you shouldn't either. Get the word out. Tell others about Christ. Stop making excuses. If you're here today and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Come and tell us that God is putting it in your heart to be the one who will be with him in heaven forever. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for going public. Thank you so much for saying, you are our King Save us now, son of David. Blessed is you come in the name of the Lord. Glory to the highest heavens. Lord, I don't want rocks to outcry me. I want to follow the true Jesus and stop making excuses for my life of things I may be doing wrong just because they forgive. Father, God, thank you so much for raising Jesus from the grave to eternity so we can be with you forever in heaven if we would just trust in your holy name. God, be with us. Let us spread the word because you have raised the dead and you will raise the dead again and you are coming. I pray we don't ask who is this, but I pray when you ask do you believe this, we can say with a resounding yes.
I believe. I believe in Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.